So anyway, as we mentioned at the start of this week's show, Chris Sullivan used to promote a club called WAG. He tells you all about that in the interview that's coming your way. And he's got a brand new CD out. It's iconic tunes from the WAG club from 1983 to 1987. And what's on the front of the CD is a selection of rare classic and collectible funk, Latin, disco and jazz that filled the club of this legendary Soho night spot defined a generation and influenced the world that just about sums it up really we're going to catch up with chris sullivan right now www.essentialhouseradioshow.com how did the club how did the club wag come about back in 1983 it started as in april 82 as a one-nighter in a club called stallions I've been doing a door of, of a door called the Beetroot, and I decided to do another nightclub because I was in a band called Blue Rondo a la Turk, which wasn't paying me much money. So, and it was always a promise of money, but we spent so much money on recording our albums and playing session musicians, it was very unfruitful, put it that way. So I decided I would go back, because I'd, I'd done a succession of clubs from 1980 onwards, I did one called The Kilt, I did one called Hell with Steve Strange. The Kilt was in partnership with Robert Elms, and he's a very well-known London live BBC DJ now. And then I did one with Steve Strange, and I did one again with Bob and a lot of other people. So I'd done them, and so I decided to do this one, but um, the guy said that the, there was the classic words. I called it the wag. It, it's in the booklet, by the way. It's all in there, in, and there's a picture of, it, of the invitation. Because people always think the wag is an acronym for whiskey a go go, when it couldn't be farther from the truth. If I'd have done it as an acronym, I would have put two G's on it. But um, yeah. So anyway, so I did this night. Called it the wag because at the time I used to wear a lot of Edwardian clothes. I used to wear like spats and sort of you know like starch proper starch collars and fat ties which were like totally Edwardian a monocle I used to have in Pinsnay and walking sticks and all that there's a picture of me dressed like it in the, in the album as well in the CD booklet so anyway so that's why it's called the wag because the Dickensian word for somebody who's a bit of a life and soul you know hey old Sullivan is a bit of a wag what you know it was one of those kind of things and um, we were kind of playing around with that old Bertie Wooster kind of rubbish and of course, a wag is some, something that somebody, when you're in a club, you either wag your tail or your tongue, or both preferably. So it seemed to be quite a, a, a good name. And then months later, I was doing the door and, of the beetroot, and Ollie, who was running the beetroot with my old friend Steve, Steve Marnie, he, he was off, uh, the two bouncers told me that the, this Whiskey A Go-Go, I'd been to, a new owner had come in and they were looking for a good Saturday night. So they took us to the to the place, and it was a complete hovel. It was like you know the sticky floors that would rip your shoes off. You know, no toilet paper, no toilet seat. I mean, it was appalling. It was like in the West End of London, and it was literally Watney's red barrel umbrellas in the club with plastic seating. I mean, it was the biggest show you've ever seen in your life. So we went there, but it was a West End, and it was solo, and you know, and it was on a Saturday night. We, we, as a, we as a group, had never had a Saturday night. We gravitated from the Blitz to a Thursday. We'd had hell as a Saturday, but it was so small, so it was a big night for us. Now we could open our, 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 our sort of our doors to people from all over the country. So we took it, and that's it, really. And that was October 1982. 
And then after about three months, four months, of it being in the face and ID virtually every issue, and then packed outside and everybody wanted to get in and nobody could because it's too small. The owners offered us to take it over um, seven nights a week, which is where night, that's what happened in 1983. April 83 is when we took it over, had it repainted, got, got new everything, new toilet paper, new soap, new, <laughs> new everything, new furniture, and reopened six nights a week. So there we are, there's the story. Rather long-winded, but there it is. Brilliant. So, um, there was quite a few, you had quite a few well-known people come to the club, obviously just again reading through the sleeve notes, David Bowie, people like that coming. How did yeah. you find out about well, the you, club? Well, you've got the list there, I mean, it's endless. I, I, I always get asked this question, but just, I can't even list them. you you got the major ones there, um, you know, but on top of that, you'd probably get every actor, the pop musician, whether it be underground musician to overground musician, whether it be could be Jar Wobble, it could be the Banana Rama, it could be the girl that was in, you know, Betty, Betty Blue, whatever her name was, to, to bloody, you know, oh, everybody. I mean, God, it's just like, I, I mean, a lot of them became famous. Christine Scott Thomas, she was there all the time. I mean, people like everyone, you know, this is. You know, it was in the West End of London, and it was the only thing that was really cooking seven nights a week. I mean, most other places were just one-nighters. You'd go there on one night, it'd be marvellous. You'd go the other night, it'd be absolute shit. But with the wag was good every night. So we had a regular, you know, everybody, Brian Ferry, Twiggy. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on and on. And I wouldn't want to bore your, your readers by just... But it's, it's safe to say anybody who was doing anything slightly interesting or underground in the 80s and 90s probably came there from, you know, they include everybody. So, um, Even directors, you know, like Alan Parker and people like that used to come here. Brilliant. So, I mean, some of the tunes, some of the tunes that you've picked, I bet it was hard picking just the tracks that are on the four discs for this. I bet there was probably hundreds of tracks you could have went for, was it? No, there wasn't actually. Wasn't no, that? no, because for well, one reason is because Universal Records now own everything. Right. They own... Blue Note, Riverside, Stax, they own Sue, they own um, everything. They own uh, Island, they own Polydor, they own everything. So it's either this or is So basically, and what they've done is they put a statutory... It's the same if you license one track I tried to license by a really unknown band called Pamplemousse and the track's called Shake Your Bum Bum Around the Room Room which was a bit, which was a great it's a great track anyway and uh, it, I rediscovered that they would charge us the same money to, to license that as they would license the latest Beyonce record right so if you have 50 tracks and every track costs you £500 to license work it out you know it's too, it's too much for an album so that was it that was basically me being like a detective I'd have to find pick a track and I picked hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds I mean probably a thousand tracks to get 50, 50 pick a track then I'd have to go online I'd have to go on Discogs find what label it was on then I'd have to put a search in the original label I'd have to put a search in the original label over over Google and then generally there's like a detective feel you'd say oh 1964 so-and-so was bought by so-and-so who picked it up and then others and 99% of the time it would end up in 2015 so-and-so was bought by Universal so that's out so that's why it took so blooming long was because Universal 
And another thing as well, it's just it's just the fact that the, the period from which a lot of the music emanates is like we played a lot of 70s funk music. You know, say those guys of, you know, 1970 or 35, a lot of them are dying now. So a lot of there was a lot of instances where, where when when the the estates were still in being argued about, you know, so things were frozen. So that was another difficulty, just the timing, you know, 40 years on kind of thing. People who were 35 making music, then are now 75, you know, so, yeah. So what but it was a long, long journey, but, you know, as I said, I could have made it a lot easier by being a lot, lot less picky. But if I'd have been a lot less picky, it wouldn't have been the CD it was. And even though I probably got paid the money, I got paid for it. Cause it's not a royalty; it's just a flat fee. Probably ended up with a, probably I get less, I get probably get paid less than a cleaner cleaner in Botswana for this bloody record. Probably probably got paid like a pound an hour. But that's not you do it for, is it really? I mean, you know, the, 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 I did it because I feel it needed to be done and, you know, need, we need to, to stamp, you know, to say, well, hang on, you know, this is what we did and, you know, please, please realise this. And thankfully, most people have. Yeah. I would say there's some brilliant tracks on the album when you listen back to it. You can just imagine those type of tracks getting played in the clubs. Um, so what are you doing yourself now? Then are you out and about? Are you still gigging? Are you still playing? Yeah, well, I said no. I, I, I you know, we uh, Blue Rondo released their CD a couple of years ago, so we got out and we remixed that. Um, then I'm gonna go in and do a few remixes with Mark Riley, myself, next week, or other people's stuff. And then, um, then uh, what am I doing now? Right, okay. So I just wrote a piece for the Guardian about nightclubs. Another piece for the Times about because I'm a journalist as well. I've um, in eighty. I start. I was writing for the Face in the eighties. Then I became a loaded staff writer in the in the eight in the nineties. I was like, you know, I was an associate fashion editor, and I was also like a staff writer, you know. So I was a columnist and all that stuff. And then I went to GQ. So since then, since we, the bank closed in two thousand one, and since then I've I've been writing for for everybody really. I just did a piece for Lomo Vogue yesterday. Um, Got piece. I, I write for the big issue. I write for Independent. I write for the Times. I write for all sorts, really. Yeah. So that's what I do mainly. And then I do my DJing, which uh, this week is mainly kind of posh London clubs, really. I suppose I do the Grouch Show sometimes. I did Hicks, Mark Hicks's restaurant with Friday. Me and Jeremy Healy, who's quite well known. I'm, you know, he was on first. I was on second, which was a great party. That was good. I do the Grouch Show from time to time. I do. All sorts, really, uh, you know, uh, yeah. I, I play a lot with bands, Madness, I DJ a lot with, because I, I know a lot about that 60s scar, R&B kind of dub reggae thing, so I play a lot with them, yeah. I've also heard you do a radio show as well. I do a radio show every Wednesday, uh, 4 to 6 on Soul Radio. Right. Which is just me picking, I never know what I'm going to do, picking whatever records and spouting off against, you know, the things that I dislike, which are generally Tories and religion. <laughs> And especially a mixture of the both, so it just gives me time to just completely lambast, uh, yeah, Tories really, and, and, and that's it, Tories and religious people, most religions anyway, all religions in fact, which I can't understand in the 21st century, somebody should be, actually think they can actually go into a room and make, make some fucking stupid noise and all of a sudden something else happens, what, just grow up, it's like millions of people believe in this shit. It's absolutely, absolute nonsense. I can't believe, I think I was born in the wrong century. <laughs> so that's why I go on about all that, I, so I do that, yep. 
I've just written a screenplay for a movie which is which is was scheduled to be shot in September. It's a road movie that starts in Wales and ends in Glasgow. It's got a director called Joe Lynch who's just in a film with Salma Hayek. He signed up to do it. It's, it's been bought up by a company called Hacienda Productions, a Hacienda, a Hacienda film or a Hollywood film company. And they're casting it at the moment, so they've been talking to all kinds of people and you know but as i said you know that we were supposed to be shot in september because it's a road movie so we need you know 12 hours of daylight so but if they don't get it together by september october it'll be shot in the spring they said so there's that and i'm just talking to a document i did there's a company i did i wrote a documentary series for and i kind of was a producer on it called gangs of britain so I'm just talking to them now about doing a documentary on clubs because 100 years of clubs. So I've got a, he's taking it to BBC or no, Channel 4 tomorrow. I was, no, BBC 4, sorry. Yes, yeah, so I got lots of irons and lots of different fires, you know, as usual. So very, very busy. I, you know, keeping myself out of trouble, just about. <laughs> uh, um, so how long did it take you to put the album together then from start to finish? Four or five years, yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, there was periods of inactivity. I mean, some, you know, like there were other projects, like the Northern Soul movie, which my friend Elaine did, which I I, I came in and helped with the promotion. Right. When they did that box set, and that took off like a house on fire. So that kind of stalled the project. And then you had the acid jazz one, the Eddie's one, my other mate, funny enough. All the things that seemed to stall the project were all done by my friends, which is quite funny. Um, yes, so, alright. So, it, yeah, it took that long, yeah, yeah. And then, you know, but, but it was, it was, I'd say, it was quite fierce in terms of, like, boom, 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 for about the last 18 months, two years, eight, something like that, yeah. That was, it was like, you know, day a week, two days a week. Coming through my vinyl and thinking, what, what, what did I used to play or what other people used to play, and then picking it and then you know that kind of stuff. It was quite a long time ago. Quite a long process. Um, so Aye. Where else can people find more information on yourself, your website, and Facebook? I have a website. It's called. I've only just. I've only just. Funny enough, I'm, I've only just got it. Got it together because I got it together. Call this. It's called uh, uk. That's what it is. And up there, there's like links to my SoundCloud site where people can download my mixes, live mixes, which I've done. You know, I put a dub one up yesterday that I did at a party the other week. Somebody wanted a 70s reggae. There's 70s funk mixes. There's there's disco. There's house mixes. All because I play all different types of sets. I, you know, I, I, a lot of places I've asked to play only new stuff. Some places ask me to play, you know. <laughs> rare grooves you know so there's all kinds of mixes up there and you can see some of my articles on there there's also all sorts but as i said i've only just put it up so it's it's, it's kind of being built as we speak but there's enough there to get your teeth into anyway excellent check out essentialhouseradioshow.com for all the latest information on the show absolute pleasure chatting to him what an absolute character i'm gonna go in the mix with chris right now until the end of this week's essential house radio show the essential house radio show